My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back. Our guest this week on the show is Wadada Leo Smith, trumpeter, music theorist, and composer. Over his many years, he's pioneered his own musical notation system, helped popularize and contextualize Miles Davis's electric period, and has played with a wide set of collaborators, including previous Transmissions guest Bill Frizzell, as well as Pauline Oliveros, John Zorn, VJ Iyer, Anthony Braxton, Deerhoof, and many more. In December, he turns 80, and Tum Records is celebrating with a year-long slate of releases. Up first, on May 21st, is Sacred Ceremonies, a three-volume set featuring Wadada in a duo setting with the late Milford Graves, a duo setting with Bill Laswell, and a trio with the both of them. He joined me to discuss his long career, Miles Davis, Sacred Wanderings, Civil Rights, and much more. We hope you enjoy this one. If you do, remember you can rate, review, subscribe, and help spread the word. If you want to take your support a step further, Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon. It's an honor to have a legend of creative music with us, so let's get into it. You're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Here's my conversation with Wadada Leo Smith. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Uh, it's a real honor to have you here. Well, I'm honored to be. So, yeah. so, so for your your 80th birthday, the label uh-huh. uh, Tum Records is going to be putting out a series of recordings featuring you solo, but also in configurations with longtime collaborators like Bill Laswell, the late Milford Graves. Um, I was curious ahead of your 80th birthday if we could start off by sort of discussing where you've arrived at in terms of your music. In in other words, what do you think you understand about your creative process at 80 that you didn't understand, say, 10 years ago? Well, uh, let's say it this way. I'm 79, and the year-long celebration, we thought we would start the year of and go all the way through. Yeah. And I have plans for a release on my birthday, which is December 18th. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows about that one. Uh, but the, the big thing about um, uh, uh, when you look back over your career or your artistic career, uh, you're able to understand something about who you are, you know. And um, I found out uh, quite a while back when, uh, for example, when Zadig released the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the big box sets of my other stuff, I forget what it was called, but Zadig released a four or five CD set of myself, uh, uh, John's label. Of the early stuff that, for the stuff that you put yeah, on yes. your own, your own label, uh, yes, yes, cable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened is, uh, that was probably 20 years ago or so. And at that time, I did a kind of a reflection on what it was that I was thinking about at that time. And since that was the earliest music, you know, with Creative Music One and all that stuff in there, uh, what I realized was that I was right. My whole attitude, the approach, my um, sincerity, my ability to actually achieve what I was going after, at that early stage, which is the 70s, 1970s, I was right. Yeah. And when you're right from that, from that stage, you take a little bit of another glimpse backwards. And I glimpsed back to the age of 12 years old, which is when I wrote my first piece of music. And at the age of 12, 
I got a piece of paper, a piece of music paper and a pencil. And I started writing my first composition. I didn't ask none of the teachers at the school to show me how to write music. Yeah. Uh, I discovered by writing music, how to write music. And I discovered that while I'm engaged in trying to learn something new or navigate another space I've never been in, you gain the most precise assurity of confidence. Right, right. And, and, and therefore, you are not afraid to look into the dark and pull out gems, you know. So, so when you say that you listened back to that early stuff, you know, and and that you got the sense that you were right, what mm-hmm. do you what do you mean you were right about? Do you mean that your your intention even then was sort of a similar one to what it is now, or or? No, I mean, I mean that the whole creative process is is like is is very similar to skydiving. Okay, meaning this. You have the inspiration to do it. In music or in art, the inspiration come into you, you see. But in skydiving, you have to have the courage, first of all, to want to skydive, to fly the plane, in the plane, and then the nerves to jump out and not go to the ground, but, but kind of zoom into the sky. That's something about uh, not just courage, but the, that you have the skill and the ability to achieve what you want to do. Well, and that's yeah. what I mean by, by that I was right. My inspiration was right. My willingness to trust my intuitive self and to trust my ability to uh, actually achieve what I started out to do. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's what I mean by right. I, I, I didn't, it wasn't uh it wasn't something that I attempted to do and, and fail. I felt that I had achieved the moment I started doing it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Before we move on to a few other thoughts, have have you ever gone skydiving? I've not gone skydiving. Okay, I haven't I, either. I, 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 I would have I would have liked to at a younger age. Sure. You know. <laughs> um uh but but no, I I have not gone. I, I understand that the that the uh, old man George W. Bush did uh, on his 90th birthday, uh, 80th birthday, he he jumped out of a plane. He did a, a parachute jump. Well, there you go. There you yeah. go. So who, so yeah. who knows? I, I, yeah. <laughs> so 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 it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, you've worked with so many incredible uh, collaborators, so many great players. Yeah, I could I could spend the rest of the episode listing them, but we won't. Um, what qualities do you look for in a collaborator? What's the chief quality, maybe? Yeah, the, the primary quality is uh, the moment you make the first note, and the collaborator makes the makes their first moment in the music. You know immediately whether it's going to be successful or not. Just the very first instance. Yeah. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for. If, if I can achieve my center gravity and allow my inspiration to flow immediately and that it doesn't inhibit the other player and that their flow of inspiration doesn't inhibit me. Yeah. So what I'm looking for is that, is that uh, 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 kind of spiritual, chemistry balance that immediately jails because if you have to work to make it work, the work becomes working. Right. But if you don't have to work to make it work, it then it becomes a creative journey. Yeah. And everybody, the two of us or the three of us, whoever the collaboration is, can make it work, you see. Yeah. 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 You you're very very comfortable talking about music on a on a spiritual level. I from from what I yeah, from what I read, yeah. that's your sort of that's sort of the, the the lens that you view it through. Correct. That, that's 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 one of the major lens because I believe that that a sound heard anywhere in the universe or no anywhere in creation influences creation, whether anybody know about it or not. Mm. You see, and so. Spiritually, what that tells me is that everything and everyone 
and every object is all connected. Yeah. And that these connections uh, bear certain kinds of fruits that are, that are, that are either good for the, the main populace of our earth population mm-hmm. or it's, it's, it's not good, you see. And you want to ice drive to find that positive zone in the spirituality that makes it work for everybody. Yeah. Because we have to remember that spirituality is a, is a little bit larger than philosophical inquiries or religious inquiries. Sure, sure. Because, because the philosophical inquiry is kind of an elitist approach to life, and it's done in a wing of um, inquiries that doesn't involve ordinary people. Okay. But it's about ordinary people, you see. And whereas, like, religion... It engages so much into the cultural uh, parameter of life that it creates a lot of confusions amongst various kinds of beliefs. Yeah. When in fact, all of the beliefs are, are aiming for one for one possibility. You see, to uplift the person. Did Did you find but, as as you you know you you have throughout your life you know practiced various faith traditions you know uh, yes, Rastafarianism yeah. you know Muslim. Yeah, and, Islam, Islam yes. yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you have? Did you find for you that that they were um, different paths to a same sort of destination? Yeah, they were. They 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 all they all same paths towards the same de- destination. Yeah. It's just that the routing is different, and it goes through these 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 prisms of cultural restrictions and cultural taboos and things like that. Uh, which might have been fine, you know. What I did in, in terms of my journey, I always leaned towards the spiritual components of the religion. And therefore, it, 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 I didn't get cluttered into what was happening. The, sort, of, sort of the dogma or the, that side what, of things? What, you what, mean? What, what, well, the mystical quality of it, which has all of it in there, but it's but is capsulized in like, precise practice like for example in islam is sufism you see and then christianity is certain kinds of uh, of uh, 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 christian ideas about uh christ you see um, um uh, there's a there's a very famous book uh, uh, maybe maybe it's called uh I can't remember the name of it now, but it, it's 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 a book about Christ, but it's a, it's a mystical book, but it's most beautiful text. Sure, you know, sure. Most beautiful text. Same same with with Sufism. You find these 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 spiritual contents put in the context of poetry, and then practiced in the context of actually uh, remembering God, God, and trying to make humanity this love pool. Yeah. 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 Did you grow up? Did you grow up in a particular religious faith? Yes, yes. I was Baptist and, and Presbyterians and all those other kinds of isms across there. Sure. And then until I ran into to Rastafari, and then I went through that tradition, and and then I found myself looking again. And I looked through a lot of different forms, from from Buddhism to Hindu to um, all kinds of other kinds of religious contexts. And finally, uh, I settled on Islam. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Nothing to worry about. I, I settled on Islam, and that made me, um, that gave me a different view because of the, 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 the chronological prayers where you have to do them five times a day. And that's just the minimum. That's not even the, the, the that's not even the basic. It's just the minimum. You see, right. so that kind of pushes you into that. But but shortly after uh, engaging in Islam, I immediately um, uh, got in touch with a, with a sheikh in California and became his student of, of, of Sufism. Yeah, and yeah. I'm still a student of Sufism. You there know? you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that draw to the to the mystic side of things, to the sort of the yeah. the you talked about a certain you know 
oneness and that that that's sort of accessible or accessible through music uh yes do, do you feel that in in its own way playing and writing music is also sort of a religious practice for you you know because well, it's a spiritual practice yeah because 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 what you're doing is you're making small ministry creations just like the almighty made not as powerful doesn't have the same kind of impact but amongst humans art and i'm talking about the whole ramic of art has the same kind of force as the creative force did in the very beginning yeah and then when i do my research to look to see how prophets and how how saints and and uh, uh, shakes and spiritual people understand the world. All of them understand it through inspiration. Through, and Islam yeah. and, and Christianity and Judaism and all of them, the things that we have received that has been handed down to us all came through inspiration. Right, right. I'd like to say that every single uh, thing on the planet of this earth came from inspiration. Sure, sure. And it's all natural from a, from a, from a brick or a concrete wall to a, a tree that buds a leaf and a flower that blooms. They all have the same presence on this creation, you know? Yeah, well, certainly, yeah, yeah. I think about it how an object like a, a chair... I think yeah. there's like a I think there's a David Lynch thing about a chair started off as an idea and then it became yes. a chair. Yes, you know, yes, and that's yes, and yes, that's yes. that's beautiful. And, that's, and, and everything else did like that, you see. Because because the chair didn't make itself. Right. Right. Inspiration gave the idea to somebody to make that chair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so 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 what we get down to is that the same practice in which spiritual um, icons like prophets and people like that receive the information. Artists receive the same thing. It's just not about the same kind of language. It's a, it's an artistic language. Yeah, and it comes through, and that coming through you instantly, it flows in and all the way out through the trumpet, right, or through the pen, or through the voice, or through whatever we're using. To magnify that idea, and and you work in all of the mediums that you just mentioned. You know, as a, yes. as, a as a player, as a teacher, as a writer, as a theorist. Yes. You know, yeah. Does it all feel like it's coming from the same place, basically? Yeah, it's it's coming from the same place. Yeah, because uh, you see, unification is 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 really a very powerful principle. You see, yeah. Your family is the first model of unification. You see, and that family. Uh, uh, you look at the community, that's the next largest one. You look at the city and the state and then the nation of states and then the, the planet. You see, it's all that, all those models are showing us that unification is the most preferred engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, uh, you know, Obviously, you're you're known as a trumpeter. I wanted to start off uh, by asking you about a different question, a different yeah. instrument. Uh, you've also collaborated with so many great guitarists. Uh, yes. you, you did a, a great project with Deerhoof uh, uh, recently. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. You know, you've worked with Bill Frizzell, Henry Kaiser. You know, all these different people. You really helped popularize Miles Davis's electric. Uh, work Music, yeah. at a time yeah. when it wasn't quite as you know held in quite as much esteem as it is now. Uh, but going all the way back to your mm -hmm. your youth in in Mississippi, I mean, you you played with Little Milton, right? That was some of your yes. earliest stuff. Yeah, yes, Little Milton was Little Milton was one of the young men that was mentored by my stepfather, and I got to know him really well. I played in his band. And in fact, I played in this band when I first went to Chicago in 1967. Uh, uh, I, I, I went there, I joined the ACM. Every time Bill Milton would come to town, I would either play with him in Chicago and the surrounding areas, like Indiana and those close Milwaukee and stuff like that. 
Oh, I would go on tour with him for two weeks at a time. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And I could do that because, like I say, my stepfather was his mentor. And um, uh, he was, was, you know, like, like the family. And I was like family with him. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you were you were you were already interested in in ideas of like creative music, and then you were also playing sort of uh, this this blues, this blues rock, rollicking, all of it, blues rock, whatever. Because you see, when inspiration coming to you, it doesn't have a name on it. it. Doesn't say this is a blues line or this is a creative line or this is that. It comes in as as creative energy, and that manipulation of whatever you do with whatever instrument or whatever stage you're on, whether it be a rock stage or a blues stage or a creative stage, it pops out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you, yeah. do you feel like people get too hung up on what something is? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that, yeah. that seems to be sort of a, a, a little bit of a, of a, of a longstanding frustration for you. Uh, what, what do you yeah. think that what, when people get so, uh, concerned with the the boxes that something belongs in, what do you think they, they they're missing out on? Well, I think I think basically all boxes are about power, okay, and power gives people what they think are an advantage, and knowing that, uh, let's say, having the idea that Roscoe Mitchell plays free jazz. And then Anthony Braxton plays uh, free bebop or some stuff. Sure. Okay. They feel empowered with that little piece of information. And the moment Roscoe Mitchell or Anthony Braxton steps on stage, all those boxes explode. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then once they explode, the person loses power. And then losing power. They cannot connect at that point, you see. Mm. That's why the preconditions of all elements, whether it's about, about uh, uh, statistics or, or any other kind of discipline of study, if you presuppose how it should be, you're going to be disappointed. Right, right, right. So the best way to experience art is to, is to allow it to develop and engage it and see what that engagement produces for you. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed and, as and, and never judging it because when you judge it, that's also about power. You say, uh, uh, because the experience never leaves you. Right. It becomes part of your, your conscious and subconscious reality. It never leaves you. Even though you may say, well, I didn't like that at all. It doesn't matter because it's already part of you. Sure, sure, sure. In a world where where we sometimes have to hear music that we don't necessarily want to hear or didn't choose to hear, right. Uh, right. how do you think that 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 sense of of, of art entering us? You know, uh, do you do you feel like it can be difficult to have a relationship with the sounds around us when we live in, frankly, a very noisy Maybe over the last couple of years, it hasn't been quite so, the last year. You know, it's been quieter for most of us. But yeah, uh, last year. but you know, been. if you're standing on the corner and somebody drives up and they've got their their car window down, what, how could that experience? Uh, you know, what kind of impressions could you share about a moment like that? You know, well, that moment is is one of those uh, Charles Ives moments. You know, Charles Ives was was a was a was a New England composer who grew up in New England when when they had marching bands that would be barging from this block and that block. And the kind of interaction of those bands or the steeple in the churches, one over here and one over there banging, and it, and it kind of create this uh, kind of a stereophonic or, or quasi-phonic relationship in a community that's, that's, that's about the size of, of uh, Grand Park in Chicago. Right. You can hear that you can hear that sound. And so what it does is in that case of, of, of the passing car and the guy on the bike that has uh, uh, riled up the motor 
and 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 the song is 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 moving past you and it's gone. You experience that just like you would a shooting star. Yeah. You know that it that it that it it came from somewhere and it went and you experienced it and it's good for us that we did experience the shooting star or that supposed to be community of passing sound and structure. Yeah. You see. Yeah. But no one sets in that for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or hour and a half just paying attention to it. No. And therefore it does become like a shooting sound. Yeah. But all of it embraces us. Even that moment, that moment still embraces us and let us know that, hey, you're alive. Yeah. You experiencing something that's that's actually intruding at the moment and you're gonna survive it. Sure, sure. So which is cool. Yeah. You know? That's a beautiful way to think yeah. about it. Even in an elevator, when you drive going up the floor in the elevator, you know your destination. Yeah. You know that that elevator is going to be the one floor or six floors or 20 floors. And that music is just going to last that long. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And then coming down, it's the same thing. Yeah. You see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go back a little bit to the to the Miles Davis electric era. Um, were were you listening to those records? His 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 no. So what were you listening to when when say like you know on the corner came out or whatever? Where was your head at at the time? Oh, oh when 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 I was coming up, yeah, I listened to the music when Miles put it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to realize that those early moments of that music. Um, Everybody I know was waiting for the next one to come out. What's Miles going to do next? Yes, yes. You see, uh, because the beauty is, you know that whatever his artistic intentions are, it's all about the creativity, you see. And he demonstrated that over and over and over. You know, you hear legends about his band rehearsing and stuff like that, and that he never rehearsed with the band, yeah. you see. Because yeah. he knows that they're going to only rehearse enough to get acquainted with the music. And then when he comes on stage with them, it always changes. You see? Yeah. And they got to respond in a different kind of way. And that's that was his, his um, formula for creativity. By putting one in a fresh space and allowing that space to be conquered by the artists on stage at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it so I was listening to that music and I listened very well to it. Yeah. Okay. But when the Yo Miles project came up, I didn't want to listen freshly to the music that we were going to record. Okay. Because every every one of the records Henry Kaiser would send me the pieces that we were going to record. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't listen to them. I didn't tell him I didn't listen to him. I just wouldn't listen to him because I didn't want to have that impression on me when I'm trying to reflect on how I'm going to play his music. Right. You you wanted to be able to bring your own uh, headspace to that, to that music. Yes. I didn't want to have to throw off anything in order to get to where I was going. Sure. I wanted to be able to just go right into it. Sure. Say. Was... Yeah. As as a trumpeter, uh, was Miles a you know? Did he serve as like a specific kind of inspiration for you uh, to start yeah, off? And yeah, then yeah, yeah, Miles Davis, I think has has the Miles Davis is a, is 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 in the same category that a Louis Armstrong or a Duke Ellington or a Count Basie. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that that he influenced all instruments. You see, same way with a Thelonious Monk, they influenced all instrument players. And for me, Miles Davis has uh, uh, that uh, dramatic, exciting uh, notion about how to make art in the present moment. And when you're in a theater and you experience that, you're kind of like, like in another kind of paradise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you know that what you're experiencing at that moment is fresh, uh, raw, and unique. And it 
and it exists then and it and it won't exist exactly you know it will not come again no yeah no, yeah no. the occasion we may be presented at another venue at another time and space sure but it's different you're completely different yeah and that's to show beautiful. you an example is listen to his um uh bitches blue and listen to four or five live versions of bitches blue they are they're like they're like new pieces of work yeah every one of them yeah because he just opened it up each time. He's stepping yeah. in, stepping into it anew. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You you studied ethnomusicology at Wesleyan. What has you know? Uh, what did did your time spent studying and teaching? How did that inform your your musical approach? Well, well, actually, what I did is I studied in the ethnomusicologist area, and I took. I believe two classes on one on Native American music uh, because uh, I can't think of the name of the professor that was there at the time, but he was a scholar on that music. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take that class and I took one on uh, Indian music. Okay. But my main goal was to go there and study the instruments. I studied the Koto. I studied the uh, South Indian flute. And I studied the Ghanaian flute. Uh, the the South Indian flute is in C, and the Ghanaian flute is in B flat, the same as my trumpet was in. And um, uh, uh, and and the way I got information, rather than going to class, I would I would engage in dialogue with my teacher. Asiamo was his name. Hmm. You see. Uh, and this was at Western University. I lived in New Haven, so it was a short trip for me to go and do this. And I could do it free because I had the GI Bill because I'd been in the army, mm -hmm. you see. But um, my former study was at the Sherwood School of Music in Chicago. I uh, I went there, what, uh, two or three years. And uh, that was a very exciting time also. This was during the time when I, when I uh, 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 recorded the bell with Arthur Braxton, Leroy Jenkins, and Moore Richard Avery. I was going to school at that time, also playing with Milton at the same time, and the yeah. ABC at the same time. It was a really beautiful, exciting time. That's that's wild. You're just in all these yeah. different worlds and yeah. experiencing all these different things, but but they all felt like uh, the... they, they, were, they were all real. Yeah, I would leave out my house at eight or nine o'clock in the morning and would return like eight or nine o'clock at night. And all of it was either engaged in school or engaged in music or something like that. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. I'm curious, you know, you've, you've written a lot. Uh, do you have a, a, a writing routine now? Uh, well, I write all the time now because the iPhone is such a fantastic vehicle. You can just sit it there has, and, it, and I, I, I go through my notes. My notes are full of everything that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, any thought that comes to my head, uh, a conceptual idea or philosophical or, or poetic or or even a concept about a performance or a new piece, I jot it all down in my notes. My notes are full of all these things. Yeah. You know? That's now, beautiful. That's beautiful. And then I did I transfer it to the computer where I put it into a document or stuff like that. But then but the iPhone, because I, I have and this this is my studio room right here. You can't see it, maybe. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Okay. In there, I and I have them open all boxes, but I have at least 20 or 30 notebooks. Yeah. You say that I because I used to write in notebooks all these things. Yeah. But since the iPhone, I don't have to write on notebooks anymore now it's you your know. notebook it's, your it's already <laughs> yeah it's there you see yeah that's yeah. beautiful so so do you uh you 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 basically you always have that at your at your disposal uh are you working on uh, uh any any like a book right now or anything along well those i'm lines? working on a couple of things right now um 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 uh, there's a there's a guy by the name of suma um summers from um uh, the Midwest, we're working on on a kind of a biography based around um, the idea of creation, you see. And then there's a there's a guy in uh, Marcello that lives in uh, Italy. We're working on like a, a biography. He, he calls it a talk biography where he does interviews 
and then he constructed afterwards. Um, that's being done. But I'm also working on what I call a poetic memoir, where it's being written in the poetic style, where I don't have to blossom out everything, but I can put it in like condensed form. I'm working on that, and I work on that like, uh, let's say, I've run of a, a month or two. I may work two or three days or three or four days out of those months or two yeah. on that project. So I jump from from one hot pot to the next hot pot. Has it always been like that for you? You're juggling multiple projects? Well, well yes, yes, yes. Because, look, during, during the shutdown, um, I've completed and finished my string quartet number 13, 14, 15, Okay. Um, I've did tons of acrosmation pieces. I've did, um, uh, what did I call it? Um, uh, I've did a cantata for voice and six instruments, which is about the, the first responders of the pandemic. Mm. And I've did a suite for uh, a new ensemble that's never played together. Not even, they've never even met each other yet. It's all in my head or on paper right now. Yeah. But hopefully in, uh, by the end of the year, I'll have that ensemble in the studio um, and, and be able to record. It's a brand new ensemble, never played together. Um, everybody in the ensemble don't know each other. You know, some of them know each other, two or three know, but everybody don't know each other. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited when we can get a project in the studio recorded on that ensemble. So the the energy you don't have a problem coming up with energy it sounds like no 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 <laughs> because look listen I'm, I'm I I do what I do I, I start tomorrow I do I do ten hours of um of uh, of uh, visits to uh, the new school in New York yeah you're about all to start by, a, all by Zoom you say start a residency there right yes yes yeah, yeah. wow yeah so so I'm so I'm I'm always busy. And it's like, uh, it's, my life feels like um, uh, like an avalanche. Yeah. But, but a pleasant one. Pleasant avalanche. That's beautiful. Yeah, where, where I'm out in front of the avalanche and I'm trying to keep it from catching me. You're skiing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to, well, you, you, you mentioned the, the uh, Ankh Ramas. Ankh Rosmation. The that's yes. the that's the system of notation that, that you developed. Well, well, now it's it's a language. I call it a language. At first, I was called a notation. Then I thought it was a theory. And then I thought it was a concept. But since since it's been around for over fifty years now, okay, from nineteen sixty seven, it, it was up. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've discovered in the last, I say, twenty years that it's a language. Yeah, and I call it the Ankh-Rosmation symbolic language for creative musicians or creative artists. And, and and that's the way that you present all of your work to to your collaborators. Uh, no, this is just one facet of my creativity. You mm -hmm. see, uh, it works. Ankh-Rosmation works around around images, shapes, colors. And all built into either something that's, that's that's in nature or natural, like for example the the sun the light spectrum. All the colors of 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 are, are thought of and looked at in terms of the light spectrum. You say yeah. Um, um, uh, the idea of image, what shape is on it, and what that shape means. Uh, notions about velocity units, both fast and slow. Um, uh, long and short sustained units, uh, creative units. All these things have materialized now where there's a vast vocabulary of, of information around the acrosmation. Acrosmation means that the artist has the opportunity uh, through a score to shape a performance reality based off of that score. Yeah. And that information of how they have shaped it is not shared with the next person in the ensemble. It's all kept secret. So that when the performance takes place, 
everyone will make their contribution from their own vantage point and not from the fact that they know what Jack or Jill is going to do. You ah, see, because when yeah. you know what Jack and Jill is going to do, it it actually pollutes the performance to to a point where it's not as powerful because you want, if you got five people performing, you want five different realities oh. and not three with five, you see. And, and and there's and the unity comes from the five people basically being true to their to, to being true to themselves, but also doing the research and use of the language. Those are the three yeah. connections that that hooks you up. Yeah, yeah. How did you how did you decide to to invent this at first as sort of a, well, a theory or a notation system? Well. I've discovered also that uh, I didn't invent it. I actually discovered it. It already existed, you see. Uh, and by discovering me in this, that I believe from the, the law of thermo thermodynamics states that, there's, that, that everything in creation has always been there. And that whatever's in creation doesn't leave. It just changed form into one form or another. Mm -hmm. So if that's true, then we have to question how we think about creativity. We get creativity from inspiration. That is, it comes from somewhere else. It didn't come out of us, come into us. Not out of us, but into us. And therefore, we're discovering something. Mm -hmm. We're discovering how to use this light that has come into us instantaneously as we're performing. And the same way with Akrasmation, I discovered it piece by piece. And I think of it as being uh, already present. And I believe every other discovery, like Einstein's uh, theory of rel relativity. And I mentioned that because my little seven-year-old granddaughter said, uh, Granddad, do you know about Einstein's theory of rel relativity? And I said, yes. How did you know that? She said, well, my teacher was talking about it. <laughs> she, she's seven years old. Yeah. He said. That's beautiful. So, yeah. So, so, and, but, but he discovered that as well. He said, and what's the process of discovering? You're looking for it. Yeah. You're expecting to find it. Right. And then you find it. You say. Yeah. And Benin is a whole different other kind of notion. And, at first, I had those same ideas as well. But as you become more informed about how inspiration works and how creativity is something that nobody has in their back pocket, that it comes through them and it keeps moving, it doesn't settle there. Yeah. You, see, you can't reach inside and pull it out. You see, it has to come in and through you. you Do you, have you had at various points in your lifetimes where it's not coming in the way it, you want it to? Well, uh, the answer is, the answer is yes, but no. And I'm, let me explain. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love this. <laughs> um, uh, my model is Duke Ellington mm -hmm. and uh, Bach, old man Bach. From the from the uh, I guess he's seventeen to eighteen hundreds out go. of Germany, Austria, Germany. Yeah, Bach Bach wrote something like eleven or twelve thousand pieces of music. It's a lot of music. Okay, Duke Ellington wrote. They claim they claim officially that it's seven hundred seven thousand five hundred pieces, but there's another record that shows that it was eight thousand and something. I believe the eight thousand and something. Yeah. Now let me let me pose it like this: If they had to be um, uh, wait for inspiration eight thousand or eleven thousand times, that doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it, yeah, doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, so what did they do? They learned something about themselves. I learned the same thing because I I studied them. I studied how they think. And I discovered what they learned. They learned how to 
they learned how to trigger their inspiration whenever they needed it. Yeah. And, and the key to it is, is that you have to be able to either center yourself in the midst of a lot of other people or be by yourself. Mm. And that quietness immediately reduces the, the uh, distortion that's on you. Okay. And to prove it, it's this. Whenever you go for a walk by yourself, not with somebody else, by yourself, the moment you do that, ideas start popping in, no matter what is happening. Every single creature on earth does that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. See? And that's inspiration. So what you do is you learn how to, to map it, the sensation it makes the body feel, the mental capacity that it shakes up, and the conscious reality that is happening. Yeah. You, you map those skills inside, and those are all of physical sensational feelings with the way in which you achieve that, you see. So, so inspiration comes to the person that has learned how to map it without a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, in the 70s, you know, you recorded for ECM, you know, and then you also, uh, around that time, you did start your own label. Uh, yeah, yeah, just before, actually, I did. Ju- just before? before? Before I recorded for ECM, yes. So what, Because you I know, recorded for ECM in, in, in 76, 76, 77, somewhere in that zone. And uh, my, my uh, Cabell label started in uh, uh, 1970, 71. Yeah. So, 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 uh, you know, you had been playing with other people and all that stuff. What was the, what was the inspiration behind starting a label? What was your, your, your reasoning? Well, at that time I was thinking primarily about documentation, you see? Yeah. But, uh, I've learned that, that the, the notion of, uh, owning your own recording company and recording for yourself is a bigger notion than documentation. And I have continued to record for myself over the years. Uh, 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 I, have, I have multiple projects that I record for myself, even though I'm recording for other companies. Yeah, it's just to, it's just that you have the uh, responsibility for self reliance. You see, and you don't depend on nobody. You see. Uh, because the moment you be, begin to believe that somebody can actually do everything for you or most of the things for you, you, you run into the rut of failure. Self-sufficient is the most preferable instinct for the human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, we talked a little bit about how you don't look at you don't have the you don't feel the need to to judge or place sort of uh frameworks around the things that you make does that mean you know when you're doing a studio work or or you're deciding what records you're going to put out um you know i'm curious how the editing process plays into your work you know especially when it's coming from a place of sort of preserving the the spontaneous moment and all that does editing enter in and 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 so what shape does that take in in your work well i've learned the studio over years because uh, for the last uh, six or seven years uh i've been in the studio at least five to eight times a year mm-hmm. okay I, I, I work a lot in the studio, so I've learned the studio. I've learned how to make art in the studio. And therefore, what that means is that um, I can take a piece of music that's, that has strong parts and weak parts in it and minimize the weakness of it and, and emphasize the strongness of it. Yeah. Because I know how to mix. I don't mix like most people mix they mix like um, like like you walk like you hear a sound a bunch of sounds and you try to get the maximum relationship of all of them into some kind of agreeable shape. I don't mix that way. Mm-hmm. I mix I mix below the micro level. 
I mix based off of one sound, one pitch, one beat, one that. And I and it takes me a lot of time, okay, because I'm I'm doing it on the micro level, not on the big level. For example, if I have five instruments, I'll start with just one instrument and and mix and work with every single phrase in that instrument. Sure. Then I'll put the next one on the scope and go through it. And then once I got them all going through all of them. Then I began to connect them together. And still now at this stage, there's a stage, there's a there's an element of balance that has to be occurring now. And that balance needs to be balanced also by aesthetics. And also what's 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 the most dominant and most important element now. Yeah. So so you balance the 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 less powerful with the powerful, but you make it in a way that it doesn't um uh, uh, distort what the good image should actually f- finally end up being. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I love the studio. I love working in it. Do you, Do you have people who who you uh, count on to be there to help with the some of the technical aspects and stuff? Do you like <laughs> well, just, inge- just, engineers and stuff? Well, well, right now I have I have a a, a great engineer out here. His first name is Greg. And we've been working together for the last four or five years uh, in the same studio. It's the, it's the Firehouse Square 12 studio. We've been working together uh, with Tomb Records. It's It's been um, uh, a lot of different uh, powerful engineers out of New York City. Yeah. Uh, whom I love working with. Uh, James is one of them. I can't remember his last name, his first name, but... But James is one of them. He's a he's an excellent engineer. He's worked for ECM. I worked through him for the first time with ECM with VJ and I when we did um, I'll, I'll do it. A cosmic uh, rhythm with each stroke. Yes, yes. What a beautiful and, record that is, by the way. You know, thank you. Mind and, blowing. And uh, and Patrick, who who owns Tomb Records, uh, uh, I've worked a lot with him. I love working with Manford, for example. Um, everybody has their they own unique way of, of working. Uh, Manfred is a real, um, uh, well, Man- Manfred has has what you call tune master, tone master ears. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he was a musician. He played the bass. Uh, he has a master's degree in music. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a real artist in the studio. Okay. He doesn't use pens or papers or write down stuff. He's a real master in the studio. He just he just, uh, he just keeps it in his head until it's time it, to. It's in his head, and he and he and he, he, and he manipulates stuff. For example, uh, if the piano is too close to, let's say, uh, some glass inside of the studio, the sound will hit that, and it'll be a tiny bit different. He can hear that. Wow! He'll come out and and, and have the piano move. You say, or if the trumpet is a little bit too heavy to the left, you come out and move the trumpet over a little bit. Okay. Um, Patrick, who's also is an excellent guy in the studio, he doesn't touch none of that. Yeah. He deals with organization and 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 the the technical uh, notation of which tracks and stuff like that. So he's a real he's a lawyer. You see, his training is lawyer. So he works in that context. He's the details guy, yeah. Yeah, yes. And and I love working with both of them, you see. Um, um, uh, uh, Chuck Nassar out of Chicago, he does none of it. His presence helps the studio event. Yeah, you see? yeah. He'll come out and he'll stand beside you or he'll, he'll, he'll look very nice at you or something. And you know... From that glaze, that that's that he takes it. That's a good one or something. Yeah, see? yeah, yeah. So it sounds like what you were talking about earlier about the the many paths, same destination. There's a lot of ways yes, it yes. can work in the studio, but uh, yes. But it it also sounds to me like you uh, are able to interact with all these different styles because you've got your thing figured out. So you walk in. I know what I want. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what I want. No matter who's in the studio, I know the sound I want. 
I know the music I brought in that I want to have recorded, whether it's 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 notated or not. I already know what it is because before I go to the studio, I have made a complete study of the material I have at hand, and I have taken detailed notes on how and where I want to start and how I want to do it. Yeah. And I studied that because once I get in the studio, I don't look at the notes, you see. I, already, I, know, I have a feeling, but I don't look at that because now I want to make art, you see. And if I say that I need to have this done at this particular time and we move to movement three or section three, I know, know about that, you see. Yeah. I record now all my music in, in sections, one section, one section, one section. So that once I get ready to put it together, it may take me like like ten freedom summer took me uh, six weeks to to just edit and start the first mixing of it. Six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that's a four CD set. And once the master the mixing start took place, that was another three or four weeks of that. So I spent ten or twelve weeks just mixing that. That's intense. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. you know what you're out. You know what you're after. So you just have to. I know. I know what I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah. You just yes. got to get it there. Well, you know that that's a a good note for us to close on. I, I did want to ask about. You know, you evoke history a lot in your work. Uh, I'm yes. thinking of the National Parks album. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Ten Freedom Summers. You know about the civil rights movement. Um, yes. You've made music reflecting on the Occupy movement, so there's, yes, yes. you know, it feels to me like the 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 winds in the air, um, culturally and and societally and politically, you know, that's something that you you you're attuned to. Um, when when you did that that record with Deerhoof, you you issued a statement too about uh, Black Lives Matter, and and yes. you said. Uh, that they were doing a good job of keeping the discussion of rights and, and liberty issues up front. And I'll quote you, you said, since in today's world, true democracy is not practiced anywhere on the planet, uh, right. and that we must develop the capacity to share the wealth, the power, and the earth and the sky together. Uh, we got to mm-hmm. work collectively. And I wondered, yes. you know, uh, the pandemic revealed a great, great... Um, chasm between those who were safe and those who were not safe and and the people who were most relied upon you know people like our first responders people like grocery store workers they were not taken care of you know are still are not taken care of or or treated you know as as the essential people that they are to the way things work so i just wonder with all of that swirling in in our minds the strangeness of the pandemic, of the Black Lives Matter, real, you see this huge moment, you know, uh, the continued struggles against systemic police brutality, all this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, do you feel like we're on the way to that peaceful world? Um, do you think that things are moving roughly in the direction that they need to? And if, you know, and if they aren't, well, what can well, we do to get them there? Well, let's say it this way. Because we have so much conflict in society today, we know that we're moving in the right direction. Because any uh, any form to correct the problem, it also creates a lot of growing pains. Yeah, you see, and our constitution has been uh, constructed with amendments throughout the history, throughout its history. And those, those amendments have all uh, been philosophically good for America. The only problem with the America as a, as a social uh, vehicle is that it hasn't practiced those laws and principles that have been brought in through amendments. And that's what I meant when I said that, um, uh, that there's, there's no democracy on the planet today uh, philosophically, we have the right ideas and we have some components leading to the right kinds of uh, uh, legal and social principles that we should follow. But we're not practicing them as a society uh, in, in, in a way in which this transformation 
can come swifter or faster. Mm-hmm. But believe me, it's coming. Yeah. And it's going to happen. And the reason I know it's coming and it's going to happen, uh, in the 1960s, when the civil rights movement started, you hardly had any African-American in positions to talk about these things. You hardly had any African-Americans in greater number with wealth to support these things. And even in the educational institutions, you had people with powerful degrees, both in, in, in let's say, literary and, and, and science and things like that. But they had no positions. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in this society today, African-Americans have been parachuted throughout the, the spectrum of society, mm-hmm. as well as Latino Americans, or Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans. And that coalition right there that I just mentioned, that's the future of America, and it's the future of the world. Mm-hmm. And Europe is having a great deal of growing pains right now in the same way as here. Africa and Asia is having a lot of growing pains in the same way as we're having here. So the whole world is in a flux, but a flux that, that, that we can see a small apex out of the top of each of those areas, uh, victory. Yeah, and it's coming. Yeah, what do you think that yeah. victor- What do you think that victory might look like? That victory will be that uh, racial intentions towards people of color will not be characterized by laws and exploitations mm-hmm. by these laws. Right. You see, there still be people who will hate what the society is like, mm-hmm. and there'll still be mean and evil spirit people, okay, on all sides, okay, but not they they won't be able to stop the goodwill of a nation or or a planet. They won't be able to stop it. Yeah, you see, yeah, and that's the part that we live for. Yeah, because anybody can can hate you. But if they don't have the, the the possibility of blocking you from making progress, yeah, it's okay to keep the hate. Let us progress. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Well, yeah. Wadada, it has been a true joy to speak with you and to get to pick your brain about all of these things. Um, I really, really enjoyed the the opportunity. And if you decide to go skydiving. Please make sure that I hear about it so that I can, you know, uh, so I, I, I can get, you know. so I can give you a, a good luck, a, a good luck yeah, yeah. message as as you hop out. You know, I'll be I'll yeah, be thinking yeah. about you. Um, thanks yeah. thanks for creatively uh, doing so all the years that you have. I appreciate. Yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And let me say one last thing, please. Um, I'd like for the public to know that uh, starting May twenty first, I'll have. Two products coming out. There are three CD sets each. One is a solo, uh, three CDs of solo music made in a 15th century church outside of Helsinki. And the other one is is a Milford Graves duet, Bill Osborne duet, duet in a trio. Yeah. But in addition to those six, uh, I will have between May and December. 19 CDs coming out in various kinds of packages, including 12 string quartets wow. in a six CD box set. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the, the the looking at the release schedule is is wild. You'll be teaming up with your friend Jacques Dejeunet along yes. among, among with others on a on a on a four CD set of drum and trump, yes. trumpet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you've got the Great Lakes Quartet with yeah. Henry Threadgill, and and yeah, you've got you've got a, a big year ahead of you, and I I really appreciate you making our show part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Peace to you, man. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully, you'll get to see your your grandkids. I saw them already. Beautiful. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the women's basketball. I'm so excited about. Uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Arizona and and Stanford. 
There you go. You know, I'm pulling for Arizona. I want Arizona to beat Stanford. All right, let's do it. The, the, mer the Mercury. Thank you. Yes, yes. Peace Thank out. Thank you, Udato. Thank you. Bye, bye, Jason. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening. Transmissions is written, produced, and hosted by me, Jason Woodbury. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Visual work by Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls. Our executive producer and top of the show announcer is Aquarium Drunkard founder, Justin Gage. Tune in to his weekly radio program, the long-running, long-celebrated Aquarium Drunkard show, every Wednesday on Sirius XMU, channel 35 at 7 p.m pacific time we'll be back next wednesday joined by guitarist and singer sarah louise to get far out and drifty in celebration of her great new album earth bow if you can't wait that long check out the archives there's plenty more to hear there including a previous talk i did with sarah so you can get caught up before next week's all new conversation until then be well Take care and take it easy until we speak again.